So our sermon text today um, also comes from Romans, and we are picking up where Hans Eric left off at Romans 5, verse 12. And we'll be reading from the NIV version today, so if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, um, that is page 1116. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, And in this way, death came to all men because all have sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners— So also, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Gracious, loving God, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the gift of your promise. We ask that you would prepare our hearts now as we receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to start this morning by taking a little time to, to digest the the importance of this passage. And this is not going to feel good or easy, but I think it's something we might need to do, we do need to do from time to time. Um, I would like us to think on sin. We're going to take a moment and and just take a minute in silence. We're going to think about sin, and that can be broad, as in sin in general, or it can be specific, as in sin in your life. But most importantly, I want you to think about the consequence of sin. Maybe not about the deed itself, but about the circumstances surrounding it, as well as what happened as a result. 
Let's take one minute now in silence. Now, some of those consequences feel very, very heavy. Some of those consequences we might have expected. Some of those we didn't. Some of those are experienced by only ourselves. But some of those are experienced by those around us. Our sin affects people we know, but it also impacts people we might have never met before. Sometimes it could impact someone you'll never meet. It's hard to tell. And that's strange to think of a bit, but even stranger is this thought, and this is a thought that I've been thinking about throughout this week as I've been reflecting on this passage. Even stranger is that one act of one man so, so, so long ago could just turn our entire world upside down. Our world and the world of many for generations to come by one act. And yet that's exactly what happened. So for the sake of digging into this passage, that is where we need to start. Adam disobeyed. And it's kind of crazy to think about how that impacts us, and yet it does. Adam disobeyed, so now we're all in trouble. And I feel like a child who's claiming unfairness, because this thought also popped into my head this week. A really long time ago, when I was very young, my brothers and I were playing, and we were in a room, and we made a big mess, like a major, monstrous mess. And as I remember, I don't think I had much to do with it. So when my mother came to find us, and she walked into the room, she wasn't thrilled, and she told us we had to clean it up immediately, and I thought that was really unfair, because I hadn't made the mess, and I knew it. And in a moment of maybe unwise bravery. I told her so. (laughs) And it didn't go well for me. But I just thought it was incredibly unfair. 
Why should I have to clean up when my brother made the mess? And then I read this passage and I think, yeah, why do we suffer the consequences when Adam did it? It's Adam's fault. He should be the one to pay. Adam made a wrong choice, and then we all had to take on the burden of his consequences. And once again, it just feels downright unfair. But hold on, because our God is just and our God is good, which means our God doesn't punish unfairly and doesn't send consequences at random. So we really need to step back and think about what is going on here. So first, let's look at what Adam actually did. In our passage today, Paul tells us how sin, apart from the law, does not bring death. And the Mosaic law hadn't existed then, uh, but there was a law. It was a very simple law. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that very simple command had a very straightforward consequence. For if you do, you will surely die. Now the idea of evil already existed in the world, as the name of the tree implies, and evil existed in Satan. But humankind had not yet sinned. Until Adam disobeyed, the one law that was given. And in that one instance, there was a change. It was like a change to our very DNA. Paul says that this is when sin entered the world. Not when sin entered Adam, but the entire world. All of the generations that came forth from Adam, it's like he passed on this gene to us. But pay attention to the word that Paul uses. He uses sin, not sins, and that's important because we're not taking on that specific action of Adam. It's not just sins as in a specific disobedient action, and it's not Adam's sins, but it's sin in general. And Paul does not say here that sin entered into Adam, but rather that sin entered into the world. So sin, as a general concept, refers to the problem and condition of disobedience to God. Here Paul is referring to our human inclination to turn to to unrighteousness. And up until that moment our inclination toward righteousness, toward unrighteousness, didn't exist. The consequence of Adam's disobedience was almost like this change in our DNA that that pushed us toward that inclination. So God isn't setting us with a consequence for Adam's bite of the fruit because that perhaps would be unfair, but rather we bear the consequence of this condition and of this sin in general. Now, thinking back to that day when I was sentenced to help my brothers clean, I didn't make the mess, but I did provoke it. (laughs) 
In fact, I can remember very clearly how I provoked it, uh, and that wasn't uncommon for me, unfortunately. So I was guilty in my own right. I wasn't guilty of that exact mess, but I was guilty of the situation that led to it, um, and the consequence wasn't unfair. Just like we didn't eat the apple, but we do partake in sin. So the action of one caused sin to enter the world, and what are the consequences? If we look or think back to Genesis 3, there are some spoken consequences like pain in childbirth, um, painful toil and work, but there are also some unspoken consequences like brokenness in our relationships. We see how Adam and Eve hide from God. That's brokenness. And then Adam plays this rousing game of the blame game. He blames God for sending the woman to him, the woman that you put here with me, and he put blames her. And then the woman blames the serpent. There's brokenness in all of those relationships, and that's a consequence. And then here, I'm also going to make a little tangent and a side note, because it's not worth getting into in this particular discussion, but Eve isn't entirely innocent in all of this, obviously, uh, and yet Paul blames Adam and not Eve. Adam blames Eve in the narrative. So what's going on there? And namely, right now, for the purpose of our discussion, we can just understand that God gave the command to Adam himself. God did not give the command directly to Eve, but to Adam. And there's more to say on that, but for now, we'll, we'll skip past it, and we can just understand and we can agree with Paul that through one person, sin entered the world. Now, there's one big consequence that we didn't mention yet, and that is death. And that's essential to this passage in Romans 5. Not just physical death, but death in many forms. There's a physical death now that comes from a tiring and a failing body, it's a mortality that hadn't existed before, but there's also a spiritual death. One of the passages and commentaries I was looking at this week um, calls death a separation. So our physical death is a separation from our body, but our spiritual death is our separation from God. And you can see that in the way that Adam and Eve hid and you can see that in the brokenness of these relationships, that there was now a separation from God that hadn't existed before. And then there's the problem of eternal death, which is eternal separation from God. And that consequence of death comes with the human condition of sin. So that means death for all all of humanity. And Paul says that through this one man's sin, death came to all people because all have sinned. And yes, it's correct that we've all disobeyed God's law at some point. 
And then that goes without saying that we've all sinned. But at the time that this was written, we hadn't sinned yet. Just Adam had. We hadn't. I, none of us had been born yet. And there's a problem that we think of here. Because think of a brand newborn infant. Sometimes there's a horror of infant death and that makes no sense to us. Because how can somebody who hasn't the ability to sin yet still face the consequences of sin? It goes to show that there's a deeper meaning behind this, that sin is not just actions, but sin is an overall condition that affects us even deeper than we can imagine. And suddenly, things just seem unfair again. Paul's assuming, though, that Adam is some sort of representation for all of humankind, that by his sin... It set the precedence and that everybody would sin, even that innocent child who hadn't yet had time to disobey or ability. And that this one person sinned shows that when put to the test, all people will follow suit. So we all have the curse of sin, even before disobedience, and we all face the condemnation of death. But I don't like the fact that Adam's our representation here because (laughs) I feel like we should have gotten a say in it. I mean, we get to vote for our House of Representatives and we get to vote for our president and we get to vote for a lot of things that represent us. But we didn't get to vote on this. And I kind of feel like it's really important. And I wonder... Not that we can do anything about it now because it's way too late, but I wonder if we would have chosen Adam because he messed up. He was our representative and he messed up. But then we realize that it's good that we didn't choose him because God did. Adam had to have been exactly the right representative for the human race. Yes, he messed up, but he was still the right guy for the job. We know this because God chose him. And God is just, and God is good, and God is all-knowing. And God created each and every one of us and knows our hearts and minds and all possibilities. And yet, God chose Adam as a representation for the, the entire race. He was our representative in this situation. In fact, God also created Adam and put him in this role. So God knew what he was doing. And if anybody is allowed to choose a representative for the human race, then it should probably be God because only he could choose exactly the perfect person to represent us all. And the point is that the person he did choose to perfectly represent us messed up. 
So it is not unfair that this condition of sin entered the world through only one person because God knew that this person would perfectly represent what we would do in this situation. And yet it really stinks. And so we're stuck with this reality that through the action of one, sin entered the entire world. And through the action of one comes death for all. But Paul doesn't end on this frustrating, depressing realization. Instead, we're given this beautiful truth that just as sin entered the world through one man, so also justification and life entered the world through one man. And we follow Paul as he compares Jesus to Adam. He calls Adam a pattern of the one to come. He makes really careful parallels between the two of them, and we see that Christ, even though they have these similarities, Christ is far greater, and his actions are far superior to Adam and his actions. And Romans is not the only place that we see this line of thinking. 1 Corinthians 15.45, Paul tells us, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. See that parallel? There's a similarity. But the one who gives life is far greater than the one who obtains it. And on this thought, we see the point of the entire passage, that Jesus' actions are far more powerful than Adam's. Listen to these parallels. The obedience of Christ is parallel but far superior to the disobedience of Adam. The righteousness imputed to those who are in Christ is parallel but far superior to the sin imputed to those who are in Adam because of his disobedience. Paul says that many died because of Adam's sin, but how much more did God's grace flow through Jesus to the many? The life that comes to us who are in Christ through that that imputed righteousness is parallel but it's far superior to the death that comes to those who are in Adam through this imputed sin. Now, so far in Romans, um, over the last several weeks, we've been hearing some key ideas. Uh, Justification through faith apart from works has been a constant. That believers are declared to have a right standing with God not on the basis of inherent righteousness, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness received by faith alone. And here we see the idea expanded and clarified a little further with these parallels between Adam and Jesus. That Christ's perfect obedience allows justification to those who are in Christ. We have sinned, and have been made righteous. And the greatest of these differences is that Christ, in Christ, God judges people through 
grace. So through Adam's sin, all had sinned. Remember, Adam was a perfect representation for us. Just because we didn't commit Adam's particular sin doesn't mean we were innocent. No, we were guilty of our own sin, and thus the consequences are fitting. We earned this condemnation of death, but in Christ, we are justified. We are counted as righteous through no merit of our own. We did not earn this gift. It is a gift of grace. Adam's action led to judgment, but Christ's action led to this grace for all generations of people and all of their trespasses and disobedience and brokenness. Paul makes a comparison between the two, but in the end, Christ's superiority is so vastly superior to Adam, it's blaringly obvious. So through the action of one man came sin and death, but through the action of a greater man came justification in life. And what does this mean for us? Well, this message couldn't be more clear. God has given a great gift to us in Christ, a gift that we can never earn, a gift we don't deserve, a gift that's so incredible that we can never really understand it even, and all we have to do is accept it, turn our backs on the sin, the condemnation, the death through Adam that reigns in this world, and turn instead to the gift of righteousness and life through faith in Christ. And so those heavy things that we reflected on at the beginning of the service, those consequences of our sin, those things that weigh on on our hearts, those have no power over us. Yes, we still face the consequences of our actions, but we've been forgiven, and our shame has been lifted. And we can heal from the pain of the consequence of these sins. And what a blessing that we get to end on such a thought, that we have been rescued from death and from separation of God and us by our God who loved us so much that he sacrificed everything to give us life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this gift that we don't deserve. We thank you that when we were broken, when we were condemned, when we were helpless, you gave us this gift of grace that you've saved us from our condemnation and death. Lord, please reign in our hearts that we may follow you all of the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.